Black Friday sales event all month long at Bettenhausen Jeep on 159th Street in Tinley Park. Bettenhausen has hundreds of new Jeeps, including the all-new 2022 Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Your best Jeep buying experience starts now at BettenhausenCDJR.com. Welcome to the Hockey Show, presented by Bettenhausen Automotive in Tinley Park and Orland Park. The Hockey Show. On Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000. 100.3 HD2. And the ESPN Chicago app. Ready for the power play? Here are your hosts, Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. Welcome to the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 with Brian Hanley. I am Pat Boyle. Blackhawks keep on rolling. Brian, they've won six of eight. Yesterday's win, though, was a little different than the other five on this streak. What did you think about that performance that we saw yesterday afternoon against St. Louis? Well, uh, yeah, every week we say we are very thankful for Patrick Kane and Debrinkit, the cat and caner. (laughs) I don't know what happens if one of those guys get hurt, but um, it works, right? It works. But I, 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 when we look back at that game last night, or yesterday afternoon, rather, as some sort of pivotal game in terms of, again, that being down to nothing, giving up that first-minute goal, some of the same old you know bugaboos that bothered them when they couldn't win a game. But to hear Derek King talk about, when the the goal was waved off for Jonathan Taves, who thought he finally scored a goal this season, talk about going into that shell and almost expecting it. The the new head coach it still talks in terms of how fragile this team is, but they didn't go into the shell, and they came back from two-zip deficit, and they found a way to win in overtime. And as we said last week, you can't just be satisfied with the point to get to OT. you got to get the extra point. So I don't know if we'll look back at this some sort of turning point in periods two and three, but it almost has that feel to me. I'm so glad you brought up the Taves waved off goal because when that happened yesterday, I thought back to three weeks ago, three weeks ago yesterday, Jeremy Colleton's last game as head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. They were down two zip to Winnipeg and Derek King was watching that game from Rockford and They had a goal wiped off because of an offside call and a review, just like yesterday afternoon. And his reaction was the word you just said, fragile. They looked fragile. Lo and behold, the next day he gets the job. Two days later, he's behind the bench coaching in the NHL. They did not look fragile yesterday. Now, was Taves ticked off? And was does he feel like the, the hockey gods are against him right now? Yeah, prob- <laughs> probably. But the team did not fold. And even Debrinkit said it yesterday after the game. He said, down to zip, we would have lost games like that early in the season. And they didn't. I, I do think that was a... Uh, a growth opportunity for this team and a a huge step in the right direction. As far as if you ever want to get back into playoff consideration, you got to beat some good teams. Now, over the last eight, they've they've done a nice job beating the teams that are behind them in the standings or right around them. Yesterday afternoon, St. Louis, 
that was a really good hockey team. They were down two zip to them. They had a goal wiped off, and they came back and won it in overtime. Yeah, and, and maybe you, cut, you caught the Blues at the, at the right time. They're four, six, and one. Their last eleven, and but they did come out and put sixteen shots on net in the first period and dominate it right completely. Right. And so they are still a much better team, at least uh, on paper and by record, than the Blackhawks. So to think a few weeks ago, he said three weeks ago that they could even beat a team that might have its own struggles of late. Um, never a gimme, right? And so they're finding a way. And it is, I know maybe the fans don't find the most entertaining hockey and it's, you know, the old grinding type right, hockey. And right. It, it's not, not the most beautiful hockey you can draw up, but as Ozzie once said, uh, fun is winning and winning is fun, right? So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, you have to like the results. And, you know, Derek King talked about just keeping things simple in that those second and third periods. He said probably the, the most simple, basic, solid hockey they've played since he's took has taken over here. So do you believe this team is, is no longer fragile? And what did the come from behind win over St. Louis tell you about this team big picture? 312-332-3776. You can watch us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000 Chicago. You can follow us on Twitter at ESPN Hockey Show. Uh, and, of course, you can catch uh, the podcast all the time on the ESPN 1000 app. Uh, you talked about the the reversal of fortunes after the first period. So they gave up those 16 shots and three high-danger chances in the first 20 minutes against St. Louis yesterday. But the following 40 minutes, they only allowed eight shots on goal. Eight total and zero high danger chances. Now, you said it best. It's not pretty. This is the way this team needs to win right now. We're not used to. During the Cup era, this was a puck possession team. A team that had Hall of Famers on it. Marion Hossa, Kane, Taves, Keith. Incredible role players like Sharp, Saad. And the list goes on and on with the, the role players. And, you know, other great defensemen like Seabrook, Jalmerson, good goaltending. You, it was a di- they did not win games grinding it out. They found ways to win because of their skill, because they had the puck, because they had, they had the quote-unquote difference makers. Now they only have a couple, and it's... As we've said before, and you know what it is, it's 88 and 12, it's Kane and Debrinket, and then it's everybody else. It's like Jujar Kara. Like that's, that's where the, the Hardmans, the, the uh, Hagels of the world that are the grinding type players that are, are in on the forecheck, waiting for the opposition to make a mistake, working the puck low to high, getting in front of the net redirecting the Seth Jones shot from the point. I mean, that's that's the way this team needs to win. And as you said, for the 19,006 or 700 that were there at the United Center, it may not be the prettiest hockey that you've seen or what you've been accustomed to seeing. But if it ends up with the team raising their sticks at center ice and Chelsea Dagger playing at the end of the game then I think you're going to leave the building pretty happy, right? 
Yeah, absolutely, PB. And, and look, you know, they, they've dug themselves a huge hole. They haven't, I don't believe, picked up any ground in the wild card race since we last spoke last week. Um, the fact that they've won six of eight with 16 even strength goals tells you how slim that margin of error is. And against the Calgary's of the world and the Edmonton's of the world, you know, you get humbled because those are the better, you know, among the, the top echelon teams in the league. But you have to start from where you dug your hole and they, they have been grinding and they've been finding ways to win. And, you know, the fact that Derek King still feels like the, the shell is there and they could crawl under it at any time tells you that, you know, everything is not firing on all cylinders, but you get another week like this or another stretch of six of eight, then maybe you just bury that kind of ghost, right? You bury a, the, the beginning of the season and, and you feel like you belong and, and you start picking off some of these teams in front of you. So the Hawks seem like they're developing an identity. We're going to talk to Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times. Does a great job covering this team on a daily basis. We'll talk to him at the bottom of the hour. We'll get his thoughts. He did the math so that you don't have to on what it would take for the Blackhawks to get back in the playoff mix. And they have moved up a bit from from where when we spoke last week, uh, Brian. Like They had seven teams to jump last uh, last week. I think, let me see, at the latest, the Hawks have one, two, three, four, five, five teams yeah. to jump. So they've, they've climbed up two spots, and they are six points out of the final wild card. So, again, they've got a long way to go. They dug themselves a huge hole, but six wins in their last eight is nothing to sneeze at. And, again, it's, it's the teams that... Like, if you look at their losses over the last eight games, it's against teams that are goal-scoring teams. So, if you look at the the loss to Edmonton, Edmonton is number two in the league in goals four per game. They lost Edmonton five to two. Calgary is eighth in the league in that department of goals four per game. They lost five to two. St. Louis came in ninth. So, that was a quality win. The, the other wins along the way, the Nashvilles, the Pittsburghs, the Arizonas, the Seattles, the Vancouvers, every one of those teams was 15 and above, and most of them were in the bottom tier. So against teams that struggle to score, the Hawks have fared well. The teams that can put the puck in the back of the net on a regular clip, they haven't. But if they play that style that we saw the last two periods yesterday for a full 60, they've got a chance. And again, in overtime, when you've got Seth Jones, what a beautiful pass that oh, was man. just to set up the two-on-one. And people, again, a lot of in sports is attached to the, the amount of money that you're making per season. And a lot of people are like, I can't believe nine and a half million. Hey, you what are they? You know, this guy, do you know where Seth Jones stands among NHL defensemen? He's tied for fifth in points with 17. He's second in assists with 15. He's fifth in shots. He's seventh in total on ice time. 28 I mean, minutes plus yesterday, 28 12, right? And look, in the last two weeks, three weeks, you just saw, I mean, you see a legit number one guy out there. And two assists yesterday, and that, as you mentioned, that was just a beautiful assist on the game winner. And and the little things that it takes to win games, Taves getting off the ice, where uh, maybe the last week of Jeremy Carlton's um, 
uh, tenure here as a head coach, he talked about guys having to, you know, be unselfish and not trying to stay out there and, and for that extra 30 seconds or a minute to do something more when you really, your body can't go. Taves gets off to Brinkett comes on and next thing you know, he's got the one time. Yeah. Uh, they, they made a big deal about that, but the, so uh, Taves was out there for like a minute and 20 seconds for that shift. I mean, most shifts are 35 to 40. Sure. So he should have been off. I mean, he should have been getting off. I, I felt bad for him. I thought, oh, okay, here we go. It was an, it was an ugly goal. Bennington basically served Gave him up him. Yeah, a pizza and said, here All you yours. go, buddy. Taser. Get, get on the, get on the score sheet for the first time. And to see that wiped off. I mean, that in a nutshell has been his, his season so far. Yeah, I mean, the wide open net, and he says thank you very much and celebration, and and the referee had trouble spitting out that no goal. Um, <laughs> but it was no goal. I mean, Kaner was offside. So, you know, hopefully Jonathan Taves takes that and figures I can do it, you know, starting tomorrow against San Jose and, and get, on, get on the board and off you go. So do you believe this team is no longer fragile? Can they get back in the playoff mix? 312-332-3776. We want to hear from you next. Blackhawks have won six of eight. It's the Hockey Show with Brian Hanley. I'm Pat Boyle. This is ESPN 1000. You're listening to The Hockey Show, presented by Bettenhausen Automotive. When you're at home, don't miss Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. Shen, two on one to win the game. Kane to break it. Kane to break it. The Madhouse on Madison, the United Center, was rocking yesterday afternoon. Nearly 20,000 saw Kane and Debrinket team up once again. This time a game-winning goal for Alex, and it was his 12th of the year. He's now tied for 6th in the league in goals with a dozen. It's Brian Hanley, it's Pat Boyle, it's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. We're with you every single Saturday morning, 10 a.m., Right here on ESPN 1000, Tyler Aki is our producer. And uh, do you ever get tired of of the cane to bring it two on one and the the beautiful sauce that you like? I, I we're so accustomed to watching Kane put that pass over a defenseman's stick and have that puck settle down so nicely on the ice that it's just we've we've it's become second nature to to expect that from him. And again, last night's or yesterday's degree of difficulty probably was not very high. Certainly not high for the future Hall of Famer, Patrick Kane. But I don't, I don't think in other cities when there's a two-on-one like that, that they expect it to go in the back of the net 90% of the time like we do here in Chicago. And make it look easy, yes, right? I mean, yeah. And, and Debrinket even said, I mean, he said, I, I expect it to be on my stick. I mean, right. so it's not only like Patrick Kane is, is given a thought to shooting it these days, which would make you think that the scouts from other teams would figure that out too, whether it's in overtime and or not, that you would you would find a way to crowd those guys. But when it when you get that set up from Seth Jones and Kane is Patrick Kane, it's it's I mean, it looks too easy, but it's just it speaks to the talent of those guys in particular. And you saw yesterday, not only did Seth Jones set up the game winner in overtime, he had the primary assist on Hagel's goal 
late in the third period to tie the game up at two. So Hagel has a goal in three straight. Seth Jones became the first Hawks defenseman in 30 years, 30 years, with a home point streak of at least nine games. So the Hawks rally from a two-zip deficit. Uh, did not look great in that first period. Allowed uh, a lot of shots on goal, a lot of high danger. They, uh, they had a goal disallowed. Derek King was asked what he said to the players after that first intermission that turned things around. Nothing much. Just be patient. It might take to the last minute. It might take you to overtime before you get that, that goal to win the game. But you have to be patient. You can't force stuff. And uh, I, th- I thought they did a great job with that. Hey, it's never going to be perfect. There's still some turnovers. We, but you know, I don't. I didn't even look at the score sheet. It's more ice time for me when I look at it. But I don't think they had a lot of shots in the second and third. So, you know, we were we had puck possession and we managed the game. A couple of the guys were saying the low to high play was something you guys have been emphasizing. Yeah, and certain teams it's always different, right? Some teams uh, don't give you that low to high. You know, this team seems to collapse a little bit and really concentrate on their uh, more of the net front in the slot. So that that's available for us. So we used it. Uh, hold on pucks down low, get it low to high, and get bodies to the net. And uh, when we do that, it works. It's like sometimes they think we don't know what we're talking about back behind the bench sometimes. <laughs> but, but I was the same as a player. I'd look back like he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. But it works, and I think they're starting to realize that. So we have to play a certain way, and if we do that, it gives ourselves an honest chance to win a hockey game. I think they, uh, they're they buying in here. And like he said, sometimes they look back and they're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And then they realize he did play 800 games in this league. He did have over 600 points in this league. He did play for 14 years under some great head coaches like Al Arbor. He maybe knows what he's talking about. By the way, the guy next to him, Mark Crawford, who's taken on yet a bigger role with this team, who's doing the the pre-scout, who's handling the defense, who's running the practices. Um, He's had a lot of success in this league as well. You put those two together, and maybe you should listen to them because the proof is in the stats. These two have been together for eight games, and this team that had one win in their first 12 has won six of eight. And, you know, our upcoming guest, uh, Ben Pope, in the Sun-Times a few days ago had an interesting story talking about the defensive changes and delegating, you know, giving Mark Mark Crawford um, full reign to to get that going. And and we'll talk to him about some of the differences that uh, the hybrid that Jeremy Carlton was trying to to force to his final day, um, which the players either didn't get or didn't want to get. Uh, it, it, there are, there are some differences here in, in talking about slot protection. And I'm not talking about the little lady at uh, Rivers Casino who won't get up off the chair because she's been playing that for two hours. I'm talking about slot protection in front of the net. And, you know, th- simple little things like that. And like you said, apparently they're buying in. And I don't know, if, again, Jeremy was stubborn. I had heard that from other people that he was confident bordering on you know thanks but no thanks i got this all handled even though the numbers said no um but letting a guy in mark crawford who's been around this league for a long time uh take over the defense and immediately seeing some improvements uh, it I, i'll reference ozzy again again back when i was covering the white Sox, he took over the job and he said i know bleep about pitching that's coop's job 
Well, eventually, you know, Ozzie knew bleep about pitching, but he knew what he didn't know, right, at the time. And I think Derek King, we talked about that when he took the job. He basically said, uh, people said about Derek King, it's it's not bad to to admit you know what you don't know and to trust people who have a better idea. Yeah, I I question sometimes whether I want to go down the the rabbit hole that is defense's zone coverage on the radio because sometimes it gets a little... Uh, mucked up and and yeah. y- y- you don't under- but I'll try to simplify it as best I can there's really two approaches there's more of a man on man approach where basically de- the defense picks up the closest forward to them and they usually protect from the inside out meaning in front of the net and then the forwards pick up the trailers or uh there's a a, a zone approach and again it's a, on the left side the d man will take the lowest player on the left side, the the right D-man will stay at home, vice versa if the puck's on the right side. Uh, and then there's this hybrid that that Colleton played. And what happens is it, it, it puts the onus on the defenseman and the forward to do the sorting, figuring out which player they pick up and how long they stay with said player. And that's where things can get interesting. You could have... And we saw it time and again under Colleton. We would see two defensemen pick up a forward, and that forward would go down low, maybe below the goal line, maybe into the corner. And that D-man would would go with him because under this set of uh, this D-zone coverage, that's what you were supposed to do. And the other D-man might follow his player who's down low or outside. And all of a sudden, it would leave the slot wide open. And then another player from the opposition would come in and fill that vacancy and have a wide open, high danger chance. I mean, that was a common situation we saw the last three years. Uh, It got a little bit better this year, but not much. And so, and we'll talk to Ben about this, but it's... They're, they're doing a better job of sorting, and they're starting with the highest priority spot, the best real estate on the ice, which is the slot. And they're saying, all right, we're going to focus. It's harder. You can't score a goal from the corner. You can't score a goal from behind the net. It's better to protect and, and make sure you're on a man that is in the most dangerous, uh, the most precious ice out there, and we're going to give that a higher priority than everything else. Obviously, that makes sense, and it certainly worked. They didn't give up a high danger chance the last 40 minutes of yesterday's game. You talked about buying one guy who has bought in since he played his first NHL game. Think about this he played his first NHL game, Brandon Hagel did, on the day before the NHL was shut down. Because of COVID-19. This guy has totally bought in. He's got three goals in his last three games. He was back at it again yesterday. Yeah, we should have saved. uh... Shot for the point. It's in the net. Brandon Hagel. Deflects the shot from the point. And the Chicago Blackhawks have tied the game at two. And you talk about that low to high approach, you know, working the puck down low, getting, and you saw it on that goal. Taves works it out to the point to Seth Jones. Seth Jones puts it on net. Brandon Hagel is in front. 
just like he was in the last game, the redirection. And I asked this to all the analysts I work with, and one of those guys had a 10-year career in Andrew Shaw, undersized, but he bought in. He said, look, if I want to stick into this league, I need to go to the most precious ice, and I need to battle for position there, and I need to try to get the quote-unquote greasy goals. I don't understand, Brian, why more people don't subscribe to what Brandon Hagel is doing here and go do that. Now, it's easier said... Because uh, it hurts. Yeah, because it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts less now because they are trying to, to cut down... When a down. guy's, you know, taking the stick to your shoulder yeah. blades yeah. And, and whacking at your ankles, I mean, that... It, yeah. it, it's a greasy gold, but I mean, it's the black and blue area too, and not just the blue paint. I mean, you're going to feel, you're going to, if you spend a lot of time in that real estate, you're going to earn your keep for sure, but your body's going to say, hey, you can, you know, why don't you just go float out by the blue line a little bit? No one's over there. You know, that's, I'll be over here, but no, that's what it takes, right? Yeah. I mean, did you hear Emily Kaplan's report yesterday on, on ESPN Plus? I mean, we've chronicled Hagel as far as last year. He was like the poster child of, of what you wanted to see uh, as a player, not only for Jeremy Carlton, but for the Blackhawks. This work ethic, this this high motor, uh, working hard in the defensive zone, working equally hard in the offensive zone, paying the price. All the, the different superlatives you can throw at Brandon Hagel. And, and she brought up the point how, you know, he had looked into – going back to school to become a teacher, and he thought his NHL days were done. And now you look at the opportunity he's been given. Last year it took him 17 games to get his first NHL. Well, actually, his, uh, yeah, it was his first NHL goal, 17 games in. He gets now, it, yesterday was his 17th game. It was his ninth goal uh, of the year. So this guy right now is fourth in the team in goals, uh, let's see, he is third in the team in goals. And they're all even strength, too. Yeah. And uh, he's now getting some power play time. We'll get into the, the struggles of the power play. But it's, it really is a great story. When you, when you see somebody who, uh, you know, I think he was originally drafted by Buffalo. He got injured, and they ended up not uh, assigning him. And... He thinks his his NHL days are done. He's in, you know, Red Deer playing and they're they're scouting other players. They see this guy who keeps working hard and he's playing for Sutter and he's made a captain and and the work ethic is there and and Sutter tells some people, next thing you know, the, the Hawks call him and he's worked his way up from being a healthy scratch last year to starting on the fourth line, to yesterday playing with Taves and Kane on the top line. And seemingly, it, they're just trying to, uh, it, it's not a matter of w whether or not this guy's going to play. It's just a matter of, is he going to be in a top six role or is he going to be in a middle six, six know, he role? Re he reminds me a lot of Brent Sutter when Brent was a player, right? Uh, that yep. kind of hard-nosed, uh, gritty guy who's got some talent and probably has more talent than Brent had too. So, it, it might have been the perfect match, coach and player. So coming up next, we'll talk to Ben Pope of the Sun-Times. We're going to get his thoughts on the identity of this team, the tweaks that have been made on the defensive zone coverage. Is Derek King the long-term answer? It's all coming up next. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000.
listen to The Hockey Show presented by Bettenhausen Automotive in Tinley Park and Orland Park. The Hockey Show on Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000, 100.3 HD2, and the ESPN Chicago app. Ready for the power play? Here are your hosts, Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. Rolling on on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Thanks to our friends at Bettenhausen, CDJR, and Tinley Park for sponsoring the show. Brian, uh, we're going to be joined here in a couple minutes by Ben Pope of the Sun-Times, and he is with us right now. Hey, Ben, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. I'm happy to, to finally be on here. Well, it's great to have you, and uh, we waited until they won six of eight games to get you on so that you did not have to wear your black suit and do a, a post-mortem like uh, Brian and I have done quite a bit over the last few years. Uh, but So let's talk about, since Derek King's taken over, they've won six games. Yesterday, I would say, would be the the biggest signature win of that group as far as the opposition that they were playing and going up against. Uh, have you seen this team develop some sort of identity here over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, a, a little bit. Uh, it's it's kind of funny because we've seen them throughout the past few years um, and even before uh, being more of an offensive team, more of a transition-based team. Um, but, but lately, uh, it seems like when they are doing well, uh, when they are winning, at least under Derek King, it's been more of a grinded-out kind of game. Um, they have slowly kind of transitioned the roster to to more of a grinding style, and uh, we've seen it, it work. Like yesterday, uh, they only allowed nine shots on goal um, from the first intermission on. Um, they, they were playing solid defense. They weren't taking a lot of risks. Um, and we've seen that work in some other games as well. So um, there is a little bit of an identity building, and I don't know how sustainable it is. Obviously, they're going to need to keep it up for more than eight games to uh, to really establish this, but um, they are showing a little bit more um, drive and grit um, than than they have in previous uh, months and years. Do you believe, Ben, the the buy-in is because of the results, or the buy-in is because they're exhausted uh, about trying to to succeed in Jeremy Carlton's system? Yeah, I'm sure it's some of both. Um, I think Derek King he hasn't done too much in terms of system changes, uh, at least from from what I've seen and heard. Um, it's been more just that message like you're talking about. Um, he's helped the team relax and just kind of believe in themselves and, and be more resilient. Um, when they give up a goal, uh, they're not as fragile. That's the word he's been using a lot. Um, and don't just let it sort of snowball against them. And, and they keep fighting and um, have been able to come back from a few deficits lately. And um, it seems like that's really been the biggest difference. It's not that they're um, really changing what they're doing that much. Uh, it's just his messaging has seemed to, to work better and translate more on the ice um, than, than Colleton. Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times joins us on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Ben, you wrote a piece on what it would take for the Blackhawks to make the playoffs. What, what did the numbers tell you besides that it's going to be a bit daunting? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, but, again, there's, there's a ton of games to go. Uh, you look back at the last six years, um, the average West playoff cutoff has been 93 points. So uh, we can kind of use that as the, the marker of where the Hawks would need to get to. Um, and at that time I wrote that there were 64 games left. We're now down to 62 games left. 
Um, and they would need to go something like 35, 20, and 7 uh, from Ooh. here to get to 93 points. So they would need to play like a top 10 team pretty much. That's um, the kind of point pace that it generally makes you a top 10 team over the course of the year. Obviously, they've dug themselves this hole, so uh, just to get to the top 16, they would need to play like that. Um, and the question is really, can they do that? Um, I think based on the talent they have, it's not impossible uh, coming into this year. Uh, I think if you said that uh, that would be their point pace over the course of the year, it wouldn't be shocking. Um, but I think considering what we've seen so far and uh, this team struggles to um, to score regularly, they only have 16 goals even over this eight games where they've been playing well, 16 regulation goals. Um, I think it, there's a lot of indications that they probably can't do it, but when you look on paper, it seems possible. Um, I believe in terms of as of Monday when I was writing that, uh, they were five points out of a playoff spot. And uh, you look back over the past um, six seasons, and I think only six or five out of 37 teams that have been in that kind of hole at that date um, have overcome it and made the playoffs. Um, so it's going to be an uphill climb, but it, but it is possible. And we were, you know, I was saying last week, it can't just be the Kane and Brinkett show every night. And, the, the, you know, that night uh, it, it wasn't even them and they lose a game to, to a good Edmonton team. Um, who, who, who are not among the scoring sheet guys now, who you expect to be, do you feel like are getting close to, to playing their best hockey? Well, I feel like Taves uh, is obviously the biggest name um, in terms of the, the, the scoring drought guys. And he seems to be playing well in a lot of areas. Um, he's obviously killing it on faceoffs as always. Um, he's playing pretty well defensively, um, and he's getting his chances. Uh, he had several looks. He obviously had the overturned goal uh, yesterday, and he had another good chance, I believe, later in the game um, that, that easily could have gone in. And uh, He's now the, the NHL leader in shots on goal without a goal this season, uh, at least among forwards. Um, so he's definitely getting his chances, and you have to feel like uh, eventually his luck is going to turn and they're going to start going in, and uh, maybe even a few in a row just because of all of this bad luck that he's built up that, that maybe when he breaks that dam, it's clearly been weighing on him so much mentally um, that it'll really start flowing once he finally snaps out of it. So he's one guy I think the Hawks will certainly expect to get more offense from moving forward. But, but yeah, you're right. Outside of Kane and DeBrinkett and, and Brandon Hagel, they're, they're really not getting a lot of scoring even while they're winning lately. So that's definitely something that's going to need to change in terms of more diversification of the offense. Ben, the D-zone coverage under Jeremy Colleton was uh, a constant conversation with the fan base and with uh, those of us that cover the team. Uh, I I thought Derek took a a real smart approach. You know, three weeks ago when he took over, he's like, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here. This team needed to be picked up. They needed their confidence built. They were fragile, whatnot. He needed some time to not only see what he had, but uh, have some practices that they could stack together uh, with some off days and begin to, whether it was through film or on the ice, make some subtle tweaks to the D-zone coverage. Uh, you did a story this week on that. What what has he told you? What have you seen uh, on the ice as far as the tweaks that they've made? Yeah, there have been a few um, areas in particular that they have been focusing on. Uh, number one is defending the slot. Um, as you mentioned under Colleton, uh, frequent crit- criticism was that they would end up kind of chasing the puck, chasing uh, their their assignments and getting a little bit too spread out. 
Um, and under King, uh, they focused on locking down the slot first, locking down the most dangerous area of the defensive zone, uh, and then sorting out the defensive coverage from there out. Um, Jake McCabe, obviously one of the, the more defensive defensemen on the team, uh, has been talking lately uh, in my conversations with him about um, how he is trying to, to just sort of plant himself there and make sure to, to defend that slot and then uh, try to have the centers or the wingers kind of go out and pursue the puck into the corner um, so that they can try to win it back and then force it, move it back up the ice while, while keeping the slot under control. Um, that's definitely been a point of emphasis. I, I think they did a lot better with that last night. Um, that was probably one of their best defensive performances we've seen this year, and uh, it was mainly because they kept St. Louis to the outside pretty well. Um, and they've also been talking about kind of footwork. Uh, I know Mark Crawford has been the one primarily working with the defensemen uh, specifically, and, and he's been really emphasizing keeping their feet moving um, in order to not only defend their men, but also to move the puck up um, and finds that just when they keep their feet moving, their passes are more on target, and, and obviously they're more mobile and uh, don't get blown by or, or stuck in place. So uh, those have been a few of the emphases under this new coaching staff, and I think we've seen them pay off. The, the stats are definitely indicating some improvement in that regard. Adam Gaudet was put on waivers yesterday, so I don't know if he'll be doing sage cleansing in Rockford or another NHL team. <laughs> Um, but Dylan Strom, you know, the, the, the belief or the, it sure looked like it was a Jeremy Carlton doghouse problem for Strom, but uh, certainly hasn't had many opportunities under Derek King. Is there any value uh, for, you know, trading Derek uh, Strom right now or is it uh, is he too damaged? And, and you know, where, is it just confidence? What's going on with him? Yeah, I've I've been a supporter of Strom um, for a while now. I think that in the right role, he can really contribute. Uh, we've seen him do it before, um, and with the team's current st- scoring struggles, uh, it seems like he's the guy that um, they might give more opportunity to uh, to try to break out of it. Obviously, he hasn't scored a lot this year, but he's shown he can. Uh, but so far, it doesn't seem like that's that's really in the plans. Um, King obviously gave him a little a little run of time in the lineup, uh, but but back to a scratch yesterday. Um, and to to be fair, he, he really hasn't produced a whole lot uh, the past couple of years. Opportunity has been certainly part of that, but uh, he hasn't exactly run with it when he has gotten those few opportunities. So um, I think it, they really would probably like to, to sort of give him a change of scenery and recoup the value they can for him at this point. Um, based on the conversations I've had, it seems like um, that really would be the preferred course. Uh, but they're just struggling to find um, an interested trade partner um, just uh, the the value they've been getting offered back just has not been really high, been uh, not been worth it to, to make that final move. Um, and it's interesting because, uh, again, like I was saying, I feel like for the Hawks he could be useful, and, and for another team he could be useful too. So it surprises me that uh, there's so little interest out there for him. Um, but I guess at this point they're either going to have to settle for, for something pretty meager or just keep him around and hope that he eventually breaks out of this and, and has a, a hot month and um, either ups his trade value or proves that he can still be a part of this team long term. Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times joins us on the hockey show on ESPN 1000. And the guy that would be making uh, the moves, if indeed a Dylan Strome or somebody else has moved, is interim general manager Kyle Davidson. Ben, from your perspective, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, you know, what Davidson is 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 really allowed to do as far as reshaping the roster. Obviously, he was given autonomy to to make a move like making a change at coach. Uh, but 
there's going to be, let's just say this team stays somewhat where it is right now. Five to four teams between them and the final wild card spot. As they approach uh, the trade deadline, they're likely going to be sellers. At least that that would be the the common thought if you're if you're looking to acquire assets and and try to move up from where you're at out of the playoff picture. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much autonomy Kyle has to make those types of moves, or what's going on with their bigger picture. Uh, approach to the president of hockey operations and the search that's going on uh, outside right now. Yeah, from my understanding, Davidson um, has been given the full authority um, to to make any changes that he sees fit, at least on the hockey side. Um, in terms of the internal front office operations, um, maybe not fully in that regard, but in terms of uh, trades and, and signings and call-ups and, and all of that stuff. Uh, it sounds like he's operating as a completely normal GM at this point. Um, and that's probably the right decision for now. Uh, you can't just have the, the ship kind of steering itself at this point. You do need to have um, that that GM there. Um, but, it, yeah, it certainly is going to be interesting uh, to see what they do with that moving forward. Uh, they probably need to make a decision before the end of the season on what they're going to do as far as the GM and if they're going to bring in a president uh, and then maybe keep Davidson as the GM under the president or um, hire someone completely different. Uh, from my understanding, Davidson uh, has a real a real shot to retain some kind of significant role in this front office. But uh, they very, very well could bring in someone else um, in addition to him. Um, so they probably need to make that decision before the end of the year because obviously they're going to want to make a coaching decision after this season and you're probably going to want the front office leadership already in place to be making that decision. And they also have some interesting calls, as you mentioned, heading towards the deadline um, with guys like Marc-Andre Fleury, um, potentially um, even Dominic Kubelik, who has an expiring contract. And then obviously next summer, uh, things get really interesting when Kane and Taves enter the the one-year period until the end of their contracts and they're eligible for an extension or um, maybe even a trade. It's, it's crazy to think about, but we certainly saw it with Duncan Keith. Um, so there's a lot of different routes this team could go over the next year, and um, certainly it's going to be important to to have the long-term leadership in place making those decisions. Davidson likely could be part of the long-term leadership, but they, they need to make that decision permanently at some point. Ben, keep up the great work, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times. He does a great work, great follow on Twitter as well. Coming up next, it's one-timers as we wrap up the hockey show on ESPN 1000. This hour is brought to you by Northwestern Basketball, Chicago's Big Ten team. Coach Collins and the Cats host DePaul, Illinois, Indiana, and more at Welsh Ryan Arena this winter. Buy tickets now at nusports.com. You're listening to The Hockey Show. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. The Hockey Show. Presented by Bettenhausen Automotive. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Coming up in a couple minutes, it's Chicago's college tailgate. Chris Bleck, Adam Abdallah get you ready for all the big games today, including... Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Go Buckeyes. 
Uh, no bias here. <laughs> um, it, you know, we don't even have time to play the uh, the one timers open. But uh, what do you have for us in the in the one timer department, Brian? Well, I don't know. Uniforms get such a visceral reaction when they they're introduced uh, an alternate jersey. Uh, you know, when the Blackhawks had the black jerseys, some people wanted to rush out and get them. Other right. people said, "Thank you, no." Uh, jersey. Did you see the jersey jersey? I saw the jersey jersey. It actually says jersey. It says it. jersey and, jersey and the hat says hat on it. No, it doesn't. No, it does not. It does not. I don't believe that's the case. <laughs> but Marty Brodeur, I guess, helped design that. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, I don't know if they'll be called Jersey Boys, but uh, it's it's just uh, it, it's interesting. It's simple in its concept. I, I still get the twenty one stripes around the the arms and the the waist and whatever. But uh, I, I, think, I, I think the Hawks have a copyright infringement. It looks just like the black and white outdoor jersey, alternate yeah. jersey that the Hawks wore at Notre Dame Stadium when they took on the Bruins a few years ago. Yeah, I, um, again, I, I warmed up to the Cubs neighborhood jersey, which got panned right away, and everyone embraced the, the South Side jerseys. Um, but it's interesting because some people will be first in line to buy those things and other people will be like, you know, put it in the, the bargain bin rack, uh, rack. I'm not taking it. My issue, uh, did you try to watch yesterday on ESPN Plus the, the Blackhawks game? I did. Did you notice that the, the first part of the game was not available? Yes. Okay. Uh, here's That's the a problem. Deal. Here's the deal. Uh, it's kind of like the old Seinfeld episode. You can take the reservation. It's it, the holding of the it's reservation. It's the holding. It, you can have the NHL contract. You can decide to broadcast the games. You can decide to put them on a streaming service. But here's the deal. You got to have it on when said game starts. Because 59 seconds into mm-hmm. yesterday's game, there was a goal scored by St. Louis. And we didn't see it. That's a little bit of a problem. So it didn't happen in my world. Did not happen. I no. guess if you had uh, this, the uh, Spanish version, you, you were able to see it. So they got to see goal by St. <laughs> Louis, but we did not. And then if you go anywhere like on NHL.com, or, it doesn't exist. Nope, it's like nope, the nope, goal nope. that never happened. So you're better than that, Bristol. Get it together. Other than and that, really good broadcast Hawks, by John Butchergrass and Brian Boucher yeah. and Emily Kaplan. Loved it. Yeah, the, the Hawks have a pension for allowing that early minute goal, first minute goal. So you might want to get on that. Miss a little, miss a lot, Brian. <laughs> that's uh, what Murphy used to say. <laughs> my God. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition. <laughs> Our thanks to Tyler Aki. Coming up next, it's College Tailgate with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. Brian, have a great week. Hawks keep rolling, and uh, we'll see you next Saturday. Take care.